0: Hi and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod. I'm Simon Maybon and today I'm joined by Adel Ruwaished. Adel is a PhD student of mine at Lancaster University and he's from East Jerusalem. Today what we thought we would do is have a very special episode of Sepad Pod to talk about the recent developments across East Jerusalem, the West Bank, Gaza, and Israel. Adel's been working in Palestinian higher education for a number of decades. He's been at the forefront of, of developments in, in Palestinian education and questions about, um, I guess, Palestinian identity and and um, Palestinian politics. Many of you who have read uh, Sari Nasebi's wonderful book, His, uh, I guess his autobiography may have come across Ardell mentioned in that book. And I'm sure if we ask him nicely, he'll tell us the exact page numbers that he's mentioned on. But Ardell, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Simon. It's my pleasure to be with you as well. And thanks for offering me such an opportunity to express myself and tell you about what's going on in East Jerusalem and Palestine in general.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, Adel. Thank you so much. Um, so you started your PhD with me uh, a number of years ago, and since then you've had to deal with with COVID nineteen and then this uh, this awful round of, of of violence. But before we get on to that, uh, just just tell people briefly a bit about yourself and your PhD, because I think you're you're really well placed. To, to offer a, a, a rigorous and detailed analytical insight into what's happening, given the, the very nature of your PhD, but also what it is that that you've been doing prior to coming to the PhD?
1: Actually, it's a very interesting question. Thank, thank you, Simon. And uh, it brings me immediately to the case where it, all the whole story of my PhD studies started where I used to uh, work at al University. Trying to get recognition for the university degrees in East Jerusalem, which is controlled by the Israeli laws and the Israeli authorities. And uh, the first file that I was assigned by the University uh, Council and President to follow up is following uh, 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 the application for the institution with the, higher, with the Council for Higher Education in Israel in order. To get a recognition of the certificates and licenses for the degrees of the al University, and I kept doing this job for more than 20 years, if I can say, and through the process of applying and getting rejected for a couple of times, in order by the Israeli Council for Education under different excuses, and different reasons for not giving us the accreditation. I reached to a point that they are not seriously interested to give us this sort of accreditation, and they wanted to keep us suspended in his own indistinction, neither recognized as an Israeli higher education institution nor recognized as a Palestinian higher education in East Jerusalem. And this gives them the opportunity. To keep uh, to keep the hammer on our head, whenever they wanted to shut us down, whenever they wanted to, uh, like uh, uh, disallow or disauthorize our degrees, and keep us uh, threatened all the time by closing, shutting down the institution, and not allowing us to develop in East Jerusalem and offering uh, higher education, learning for. Uh, Palestinian population in East Jerusalem. So, uh, and this is where this is where uh, I started noticing after my uh, experience with the uh, application of the university uh, before the council, the Israeli Council for Higher Education. This is where the whole story of my PhD and research started uh, growing, and my interest growing uh, to to research and to understand what's going on. And I noticed that the issue is not only related with the university in East Jerusalem, but it is also implemented or applicable to different institutions in different sectors in East Jerusalem concerning Palestinian institutions, such as health sector, commercial sector, even uh, uh, infrastructure services like the electrical company in East Jerusalem, and even talking about the uh, holy sites, holy places, uh, such as the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Holy Sepulchre, and this is where the, my research led me to reach to a point where I figured out that the Israeli policy in East Jerusalem, since 1967, passing through the Oslo Agreement, even until today, is the perpetuation of bare life conditions, and this comes according to. Okay, Adel, I'm going to stop you there because you've just
0: you've essentially covered decades of of marginalization and uh, and abandonment in a very short period of time and thrown in a rather complex Italian theorist there. So let's, um, if I may, just unpack it slightly. Okay. So you've got all of this stuff going on whilst you were working at al right? All of these things yeah. were happening and... And you, you see them happening around you as you start to look further afield. And then you, you come to Lancaster to do your PhD, and then you start to realize it's it's more systematic, right? Is, right. That, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Right. And then you 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 look around and you you find the, the theory of of Giorgio Gamban as a means of understanding um, of understanding the the mechanisms through which Al-Quds and other institutions are are regulated through through this um, abandonment. So just mm-hmm. for people who aren't familiar with Agamben's work, just tell us very briefly and and as as simplistically as possible, Ardell, please. Bearing in mind that that we only have a short period of time to cover Agamben, so uh, <laughs> just tell us very very briefly what what does that mean? Because I think that will help shed light on 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 what you've just been talking about?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, according to my understand, to, un- to my understanding, after reading Agamben for a couple of years, and this is because of you, Simon, you introduced me to Agamben. I'm sorry. I, when when I first arrived to Lancaster, I had all of these ideas about life in East Jerusalem, but without having any clue about Giorgio Agamben and the state of exception. But thank you that you sort of guided me or directed me to, towards him. <laughs> towards Agamben. So my understanding concerning uh, Agamben is, uh, uh, Agamben's theory or ideas is that he's arguing uh, that the main uh, production of the, the the main function of the sovereign power is to keep producing, constant uh, producing and reproducing of bear life condition for populations in order to facilitate control over these populations. And in, in, and in order to uh, keep producing these bare life conditions, uh, uh, the sovereign power creates a a, a region or a state where he called it a state of exception, which is a a zone where uh, people are losing their protection. They can't be identified as a full citizenships or uh, inhabitants or residents and this is applicable to institutions to everything uh, wherever the sovereign power is interested to keep a sort of a hard control on population so the idea of uh, reproduction of their life is by creation of this zone of indistinct distinction where as uh, uh, the sovereign power keeps reproducing it using different modes of power, whether by full force or different sort of visible or invisible techniques, such as discrimination or disciplinary regulations or uh, biopolitics concerning the whole population, where they can make sure that all the population, the institution, or the individual are, are behaving according to their wishes and uh, sort of abiding with the policies that they are producing. And whenever there is a need, they keep reproducing the bare life condition in order to keep re, re, renewing the, the control. So this yeah. is how I understand the gambit. Sure.
0: Well, thank you. I think you've done a, a really good job of, of providing a, a clear and concise overview. and. I think that helps as well to understand what you're talking about with regard to Al-Quds in the sense that the institution had neither the recognition from the Israeli higher education authority, nor the permission to, to fully immerse itself in the Palestinian higher education bodies, right? So it was sort of caught in a, in a zone of indistinction, as you put it. Exactly. Exactly.
1: This is, this is the main job of... The sovereign power is to keep and to keep producing these bare life conditions. The fact that you are, or Al Quds, or any individual or any institution, in East Jerusalem, is not legally identified. Doesn't have a clear legal status, whether a Palestinian institution or an Israeli institution, but in between, this is this zone of indistinction yeah. that uh, deprives you the legal protection that. Allows you to develop and and to offer degrees in in case of Elcutz University, but this applies for hospitals, commercials, uh, banks, uh, yeah. even uh, holy places. So
0: it's a, an institutional thing. But how does how does it affect people? Because I think this is really important when we're understanding what's recently been happening. How do all of these these policies, these mechanisms of control, if you want to put it that way, affect ordinary Palestinian East Jerusalemites like you, for instance? I'm not saying that you're ordinary because you're you're certainly uh, a special case, Adel. But um, how does it affect people?
1: Actually, the fact that the institution, or first of all, in East Jerusalem, Palestinian Jerusalemites are are also sort of. Living in a zone of indistinction because they are neither allowed to have a Palestinian ID or passport, and they are not, uh, and they don't have an Israeli passport. They have only a resident permit in East Jerusalem, which easily can be revoked by the Israeli authorities under any reason, whether for security reasons, or even if you live outside East Jerusalem for more than seven years, you will lose your right of residency in the place where you have been born or even your my great-grandfather have been born just for the fact that I've been away for seven years or more. So, first of all, people or individuals in East Jerusalem are already threatened by the fact that they haven't, doesn't have a clear legal status. They don't have, again, they don't have a Palestinian ID or passport. They are not allowed to have a... Uh, Israeli passport, and they have only a Israeli resident permit, and which is easily can be uh, revoked. And then passing or moving on to institutions, it, it is also applicable to institutions. When you have institutions that they don't have a clear legal status, which... To, which gets them into a situation that they lose any sort of legal protection as a higher education institution in the case of Al-Quds or as a hospital in the case of Al-Makrasid Hospital or in in the case of Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Muslim Palestinian holy place. There is no clear legal status or definition about these, these places, which results in, uh, uh, leads us to a situation that these institutions will be unable to offer their services to the people, which leads that people have to look for other places, uh, to go outside Jerusalem, to leave the city, and lose all of these sort of health services or security services, uh, like social security services, uh, and even housing or building permissions. All of these things impacted the daily life of Palestinians where they... where where these institutions will be unable to deliver and unable to offer them services in order to sustain their living in in the city. And it's not just
0: leaving the city, of course, is it? It's it's leaving, leaving the homes. It's leaving often family homes that date back generations.
1: Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the main issues that, again, like if you... If you, uh, In the case of the Sheikh Jarrah, if uh, you have been living in a place for like more than 60, 70 years, and what's mm-hmm. happening now in Sheikh Jarrah is a clear uh, sort of coercive expelling or evacuation against Palestinian Jerusalemites, despite the fact that they have been also expelled from West Jerusalem in 1948, and now Israel following them to expel them again from uh, East Jerusalem. And this is because... They don't have any legal protection, and the Israeli government is just supporting sort of extremist, extremist radical Jewish groups that they have a clear agenda and plan in order to control the city and, you know, all the places, holy places, and uh, mainly the whole city, and to surround the whole whole city with Jewish population and Jewish uh, settlements. Yeah. So it's
0: it's not just the idea of creating. Sort of precarious conditions and this zone of indistinction in and of itself, but there's a there's a more existential dimension to it in the sense of trying to transform the the very essence of East Jerusalem.
1: It's a clear it's a clear policy. I mean, yeah. now today for any Palestinian Jerusalemite or for any international observer, it's a clear policy. Of Israeli policy, which is intended to alter the character and the site of East Jerusalem as a Palestinian, Christian, and Muslim Arab city, and uh, uh, turn it into exclusive Jewish-Israeli one, and trying to sort of um, downplay any sort of different cultures, hist- historical periods, which have been... Uh, living in the in the city since like uh, 1,400 1, years ago and turn it into exclusive exclusive uh, Jewish one and yeah. by bringing all of these settlers from different parts of the world, kicking out Palestinians who have been born there, living there, their lives. They, they have their fathers and grandfathers claiming that they have documents from the Ottoman period, which is completely fraud. And when the lawyers asked the Israeli higher court please, can we go into the land register and open the files just to see these papers that the court relied on to to, to decide that these homes are for Jewish. The court denied the request of the lawyers and said, we've already did our decision in 1975, and we are unable to allow you to go and open the register land files. And all what we can is just to uh, to offer you is to, to find a compromise with the uh, Jewish owners, according to the court, that you have to find to make a settlement with them. And this is the main issue. And the second issue is, according to international law, is uh, Jerusalem is an occupied uh, city by international law, by inter, by security council, by General Assembly, lots of decisions and resolutions Mm -hmm. concurring that East Jerusalem is an occupied city, where the Israeli laws and court decisions are inapplicable, but the Israelis are not giving any importance or attention to these decisions, and they are insisting to go on uh, to settle the Jewish settlers and replace the Palestinians.
0: So there's there's so much going on here in terms of the political legal social um, economic dimensions of of all aspects of, of life for, for Palestinians um, in East Jerusalem and yet it it's covered in Western media as a uh, as a real estate dispute which is infuriating to, to so many people for so many reasons um, I should ask. Adel. Well, perhaps before asking, if I may, I'll just say that we were supposed to record this podcast a couple of days ago and I received a message and a photo from you uh, saying that you'd spent the night up, awake, worried because you'd seen and heard reports of armed settlers roaming the streets of your neighbourhood in East Jerusalem and I I can't even imagine what that must be like for you and for your for your family so I think it's it's worth stressing that this is not just a case of, of the settlers themselves roaming the streets armed with with God knows what weapons but it's also being condoned by by the Israeli government in their legal and political decisions with regard to East Jerusalem and it's that 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 twin attack, I guess, that's that's really provoking all of this anger and frustration.
1: Yeah. Actually, if, if, if you allow me, I just want to go back to the issue of uh, shil commenting on Please. the issue of real estate <clears throat> issue. It's not only the two points that I mentioned about the applicability of the Israeli law in East Jerusalem and uh, also the uh, sort of... Uh, uh, in support of the uh, Israeli higher court against opening the files, it's also the Israeli higher court is denying, if it is a real state issue, the Israeli court is denying these Palestinians who have been evacuated from their homes in 1948 in, in West Jerusalem to file a case against the Israeli Jewish who are inhabited their places after the war and they are denying them the right to to file cases, like they are opening opening the the way for the Jewish settlers to to file cases in East Jerusalem, while it is not allowed for Palestinians to get back to their homes in 1948 in West Jerusalem. And moving on to the other, actually, for that night, is it's the first time I I. I feel threatened just because maybe I have kids and wife and I've never thought about being faced with such a challenge that uh, I have to defend somebody else I when I when I when I was single I used to think to, to go immediately down into the street and look where are they and all of this thing and the fact that it is twinned by the by the Israeli government is something Much more infuriating, actually, because it is sort of, uh, it's a combination of policies between formal and informal structures, formal Israeli occupying authorities. And informal Jewish settler groups, where they are considered illegal and can easily the government say, sorry, we, we, we don't know about these activities and we'll try to do our best to stop them, while at the fact they are doing nothing, but they are making use of their of their actions. And actually, it is, it's a combination between these two, the formal and informal structures, in order to reach to the main goal, which is... The changing the demographic combination of uh, of East Jerusalem as per mainly combined by Palestinian Jerusalemites. Yeah, it's
0: it's heartbreaking. But I I'm just going to put this out there now before moving on. I'm sure that that many people listening to this will be saying either vocally or internally that we stand in solidarity with you, Adel, with your cause and with everything that's happening. It's, it's heartbreaking. But one of the one of the most powerful sets of things that have been taking place, um, both yesterday at the general strike, but also um, across the past few weeks, uh, the the actions of of the Palestinian youth around the Old City, and we, we've talked about this privately, but I wonder if you can say just a little bit about how how the the youth of of, uh, of East Jerusalem are trying to express their um, their anger, because it's it's in a slightly different way to to previous incarnations, if I'm right. Uh,
1: actually, I I am very much surprised about the reaction of the young Palestinian Jerusalemites. And yesterday, we, I was in the part, taking part in the general strike and with a couple of nonviolent demonstrations, and I've seen lots of active, persistent unbelievable new generation that have full of power and ready to do whatever just in order to at least defend their rights and defend their uh, free living without any sort of encroachment or harassment as against simple basic uh, living uh, and human rights. And uh, I think that uh, we've got we've got uh, uh, well-educated having enough awareness about their rights and they are they know enough well that they are defending a right cause and they 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 just lost any sort of fear to to to, to face the israeli occupying forces or police and they've been jumping from one area to, to another area and i think this is one of the most uh, important and uh, gives lots of hope for Palestinians in Jerusalem. Actually, I may go back to uh, Gamben and refer to his ideas about the dissident power that he yeah. was talking about and how is the bare life production of the sovereign power leads popul- regular people, population, to use whatever available as a means for themselves to defend their rights by singing, by dancing, by just uh, marching, sitting on the stairs at Damascus Gate, trying to defend their feeling, ritual, religious feeling after breaking the fast during the Ramadan, where they used for ages Palestinian Jerusalemites to go out after breaking the fast, praying at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and going to sit at Damascus gate stairs to drink coffee and spend the whole night talking with each other. And this is where the Israelis started to sort of uh, uh, harassing them, depriving them this uh, opportunity. And the, the, the nice thing about all of their activities that there was no violent uh, tools, no, even no stones there. All what they have to face, the Israeli police, is by dancing insisting on sitting on the stairs uh, drinking and the israeli police have no power to do anything but two options either to kill them or to face with them by hands and by by the end of the day they brought 2000 soldiers police personnel but there were like 20 30000 young active Palestinian Jerusalemites who were insisting just to stay there without doing any act of confrontations. And this is what led the Israeli government or the Israeli municipality to withdraw and remove all of these blocks that have been set up as preparation for the Jewish settlers' march through Damascus Gate uh, towards the Western Wall and then into al aqsa most uh, celebrating, as they call it, the Unification of Jerusalem Day. Mm.
0: It's so powerful to to hear about those those actions, those that that power of of.
1: If I may add just please. one more activity, which I've just remembered, the, yesterday during the strike, at, uh, and the gathering of the people mainly at the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, there, were, there was this innovative idea that someone came and draw on the street, the chess floor. Right. And, and they brought all of these chess uh, stones, if you like, and they started playing chess, <laughs> just outside, outside the homes that are threatened to be evacuated. And the police have nothing to do with them but to wait until they finished the chess. And then they started uh, shooting gases, bombs, and, uh, all yeah. of these things just to sort of uh,
0: expel them from the area. But there's there's something so powerful about using such mundane... I say mundane not in a derogatory way, but uh, in terms of, of political protest, the idea of, of protesting by playing chess is... Is the sort of mundane protest that that would fit into Gambin's ideas of destituent power? That yeah, exactly. Deactivating the capacity of of the of the state or of the, the sovereign to to do what it wants to do, and it's it's so powerful. Sitting on the stairs, preventing uh, preventing access yeah. or playing chess, dancing. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. We've been. We we've actually, been actually. I just. Yeah, sorry. Carry on, please.
1: No, I just wanted to add, as a way of finishing, actually, is that I'm, when I say Israeli Jewish, I'm not I'm not talking about the whole Israelis because I'm watching Israeli TV news yeah. channels and I see lots of Israelis, Jewish and Palestinians who live in Israel, that they are not supporting all many of the actions of the Israeli government or the Israeli municipality, whether in in East Jerusalem or in Gaza or in the West Bank, and they easily point towards the government, the Israeli government and the political leadership, and this sort of liaisoning efforts with the radical groups in order to achieve a sort of personal political interests rather than interests of the state of Israel or of the Palestinian people. And this is where we are. Just because of interests of uh, political leadership, mainly represented by Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu, who have been uh, litigated for many illegal cases and is threatened to be jailed in case uh, yeah. they they manage to justify the litigations, mm-hmm. and just in order to, to 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 defend himself, he opened or the way or condoned the actions of these. Uh, settler groups and fanatic extremists who are interested to uh, depopulize depopulate depopulate uh, Palestinians from East Jerusalem and alter the character of the city
0: I mean, there's there's so much that we could pick up on just on on what you've been saying but I think it's uh, just just this past answer uh, but I think the the most important thing to stress is that look this isn't just a a binary distinction, a binary struggle between Israelis and Palestinians, but a, a a more complex set of struggles driven as you say by the the right wing policies of the Netanyahu government and their their allies the settler groups for whatever purpose, be it to, to avoiding the, the the legal problems, which I'm sure is a the really important thing, but it also draws on decades of occupation structural violence discrimination, and the the mechanisms put in place to regulate life through creating these zones of indistinction, which of course, is, yeah. I mean, it's it's devastating for for um, the people whose homes are are being subjected to these expulsion orders.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, the whole story started with the the issue of Sheikh Jarrah have yeah. been going on since 1975. But exactly. It, happened, it have never been reached to such escalation just until uh, Netanyahu uh, reached to a point in the last two years that he was about to lose his, his position and maybe will be jailed, where he has to uh, sort of uh, ally with these radical groups who were also disallowed by the Israeli higher court to participate in uh, public uh, positions because they were very known since 19... 19- 70s that they are very fanatics and extremists, but Netanyahu has no option in order to defend himself and defend the Likud party policies concerning the occupation, but to ally with them and allow them back into politics, where they felt that it is uh, the the right time for themselves to uh, implement their plans concerning not only Jerusalem, the whole West Bank, and even Gaza and the Palestinians in Israel. Yeah, well, look,
0: we've 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 covered a whole host of different topics in this this past thirty minutes, Adel, and I'm I'm very well, thankful for for your uh, your ability and your your time to to traverse the the treacherous terrain of Israeli and, and Palestinian politics and questions. So thank you so much. We've not touched on on Hamas. We've not touched on Gaza because I thought it was important just to focus on yeah, the Palestinian
1: on, leadership as well.
0: Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> Because I thought yeah. it was important to focus on the question of, of East Jerusalem right now. Yeah. So a huge thank you, Gadel. I've really appreciated speaking with you today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, and please stay safe. Take care. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks very much, Simon. I really appreciate uh, your support and your effort and allowing me this window to express my thoughts. Thanks, Gadel.
0: A huge thank you to Adel for his time this morning. A time, when less than a day after the general strike, Palestinians are trying to figure out what comes next. You can find Adel on Twitter at Adel Ruished. That's A D L R U I S H E D. At Adel Ruished, he's the author of a wonderful piece for Sepad on the urban politics of East Jerusalem. And I strongly recommend you having a read of that. We've put a tweet out about it on our SEPAD channels and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. Please do more than any other, share this track, share this podcast, tell your family, friends, anyone who's interested in what's happening in East Jerusalem and Palestine. Adel's got a really important story to tell and a huge thank you to him for telling it. As always, thank you to you for listening. Until next time.